Well, that is our heart this morning, that God would open our eyes to see Jesus Christ. So for us to be able to do that, we want to look to God's Word. So this morning, if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And in just a minute there, we are going to read a story that Jesus tells that I truly believe if you understand this story, you understand the heart of all the Bible. So this morning, we're going to look at it to see Jesus Christ. But before we do, I want us to go through our scripture memorization that we're doing together. And of course, as a church, we're memorizing together the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're getting really close to the end of the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount anyway, Matthew chapter 5. So this week, our memory verses were pretty easy. You could memorize these this week. They were short, they were easy, but they were Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44. So we are just going to say these together. They're not going to be on the screens this morning. We're going to say them together. So I will just say them, but you're going to say them with me. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Somebody is going to. Okay, here we go. So here's what verse 43 says. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that is what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount to love our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us. And so hopefully as followers of Jesus Christ, we are doing just that. Well, this morning as we go to God's Word to study His Word, we're going to go to Luke 16. But last week we started Luke chapter 15. And for me anyway, I believe Luke chapter 15 is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. Because Luke 15 is all about lostness. There are three stories there. And they're all about lostness, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And so last week we looked at that very first story, the story of the lost sheep. And in that story we saw that there was a shepherd who left 99 sheep to go after the one which was lost. And in that story we saw the great links that God will go to to pursue the one that is lost. And I hope in that sermon of the great shepherd you understood the love that God has for you. It is an individualistic love. And He loves you more love than I can express in words. So we looked at that story. And we looked at lostness. Now this morning we're going to go to Luke chapter 16. And the reason we're going to go to Luke chapter 16 is because I want you to see why God cares so much for the lost. I want you to see the depths and the links that He has gone to to save the lost. So that you can have His heart. So that you can display His character. So that we as followers of Jesus Christ can do what He placed us on this earth to do. Which is the same thing Jesus came to this earth to do. To seek and to save that which is lost. Luke 19.10 So this morning we'll look there in just a moment at Luke chapter 16. This last week, the Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a part of anyway, they released a few statistics. And one of the statistics that they released, uh, in all honesty, I didn't know, and in all honesty, it shocked me. And it was concerning teenagers in our convention. And here was the statistic. In the last 18 years, from 2000 to 2018, the number of baptisms inside our churches in the Southern Baptist Convention of teenagers, those from the age of 12 to 17, has declined 38%. 
Okay, now I hope you heard that. I hope it sunk in. Now the reason we care about baptisms, here in our church anyway, in a Southern Baptist, is because that's the only way that we have a way to measure those who are saved. Because of course, once you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, you're to profess that. And we publicly profess that through baptism. That is our first command as followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, so listen to the statistic again. In the last 18 years, the number of teenagers who are baptized in our churches has declined 38%. That's a lot. But why that is so much more discouraging is because out of all the Americans who profess a saving faith in Jesus Christ, who claim to be Christian, 85% came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ before the age of 18. Okay, so do you understand the great significance of our baptisms, of our salvations of teenagers dropping 38% in 18 years? If you put those two together and correlate them together, it means we are losing not only a generation, but we are losing a nation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our teenagers today make up the largest population group in America. Researchers, they call them Generation Z. Many of you are baby boomers. Some of you are like me. You're another generation. There's millennials. There's Generation X. There's all these generations. But our teenagers make up Generation Z. Generation Z is the first generation to grow up in America in a post-Christian society. What that means, it means that our teenagers are growing up in a culture, they're growing up in a nation that is no longer shaped by a biblical narrative. The biblical narrative doesn't matter anymore because they don't know the biblical narrative. They do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not know that through Jesus Christ, God saves the lost. They don't know that. And because they don't know that, in that generation, only 4% of the 70 million that make up Generation Z have a biblical worldview. Meaning that the Bible shapes the way they see everything that happens in this world, only 4%. And so, as churches, we're not reaching them with the gospel. Now, why are we not reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ at an age where people are saved? 85% of our culture is saved before the age of 18. Why? Well, two reasons. One is pretty obvious. It's just that most churches do not preach the Word of God. They don't. And here's the rationale behind that. The rationale behind most churches wanting people to come to their churches and to hear about Jesus Christ, what they do is they say, well, for us to be culturally sensitive, then we cannot preach the whole counsel of Scripture because there's things that our culture doesn't like. There are things they don't understand. So we will leave those things out and we will preach what sounds good to them so that they will hear it, so hopefully they will come to Jesus Christ. But listen to me, it does not work that way. God did not choose to reveal himself that way. And for us to think that we're smarter than God and to say, well, I like this and I don't like that, so we'll preach this and we won't preach that, that is heresy. That's what that is. That's all it is. 
And in our churches, when you don't preach the whole counsel of God, our people, our adults, and our teenagers do not hear the truth about who God is and what God has done and the links that He has gone to to save the lost. They don't hear it. They hear a watered-down version of something else, and it is not God's heart, and it is a lie. Because listen to me, if I know that 85% of Americans come to saving faith in Jesus Christ before the age of 18, guess who else knows that? Satan knows that. And what does Satan do? He is a deceiver and he is a liar. And he has deceived churches in telling them, well, you don't have to preach at all. You can just preach part and that's what will draw them in. That is a lie from Satan. Okay, that's number one. But that's not what I believe is the worst. Last week, I told you that most people in this world, including most people in our churches and most people, especially in America, do not understand who God is. And for us to understand who God is, the only thing we have to do is look to Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God is like, you just have to look at Jesus. You just have to go to the Gospels and see what He says, see what He does, see who He is. Then you can know who God is because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Well, guess what? Most people in our culture don't do. They don't read the Gospels. They don't see who Jesus is. And so how are they going to see Jesus? Well, guess what? Jesus Christ left this earth in Acts chapter 1, and he ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And he is waiting to return, and we are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. But until he returns, guess who he left on this earth to be the visible image of the invisible God? You and me, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Correct? Well, of course that's correct. Why in the world do you think God is sanctifying us to make us like Jesus Christ? That is the major part of the process of salvation. Every day of your life, God is working and shaping and molding you into the image of Christ. Why? So that you can be the visible image of the invisible God so people can see Jesus in you. They can hear his voice when you speak his word. Why do you think we're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount? So that you will know what Jesus says. So that you can speak truth into people's lives. But not only that, you must live with love and truth and grace and mercy. Just like Jesus as he walked on this earth. And when you do that, guess what the world sees? They see Jesus. But when you don't do that, guess what the world does not see? They do not see Jesus. They do not see God, and in turn, they do not know Him. They do not know what His heart is like. They do not know His love. They do not know grace. They do not know forgiveness. They do not know salvation. Because we look more like the world out there than the Jesus in here. And that's the problem. Our teenagers go home and they don't see their parents as the visible image of the invisible God. Our teenagers come to church and they don't see believers as the visible image of the invisible God. And they grow up not knowing who God is. And once they get older than 18, just statistically, it is very hard for them to find God. Why? 
because their heart begins to grow hard and cold. And their mind is filled with all the garbage of this world and all the deceit and the lies that it fills them with. And so the older we get in life, the harder and the harder and the harder it is to hear the gospel and respond with saving faith in Jesus Christ. God's heart is for the lost. And if you do not see that in Luke 15, then you're not reading very carefully. And this morning, I want you to see why. And as we look at Luke chapter 16, I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to tell you this morning is going to sound contrary to everything you've heard. It is going to sound contradictory to what churches tell us and what the world tells us. Because this morning, we're going to see the clearest picture of hell in all the Bible. Right after Luke 15, Jesus is still teaching. It's not broken up in his teaching, even though it's broken up in our Bible in two chapters. He is still teaching what he is teaching in Luke chapter 15. He's trying to explain to his disciples why God cares so much for lostness. And this is what he tells them in Luke chapter 16. And listen to me. If you do not understand Luke 16, if you do not understand hell, then you do not understand the great love of God for the lost. Now I know that's contrary to what we hear because people say the opposite. They say, well, how in the world could a loving God create a hell and send people to hell who do not believe in him? Well, that is a false narrative because people don't... preach the truth of Scripture. And if people understood the truth of Scripture, they would understand the great love of God because of what He has done so that the lost can be with Him forever in heaven rather than living in a place called hell. So I want to read you this story. Now the first thing I want to say about this story is many people call this story a parable, but this is not a parable A parable is stories in which Jesus told that were basically metaphorical that related a spiritual truth. In the Gospels, Jesus gives us 38 parables that we have recorded. But in every parable, not a single time does Jesus use a name whenever he's using a parable. But here, in this story that he tells his disciples, he uses two people's names. Jesus is not giving a spiritual metaphor to relate a truth. He is giving us real life facts in this story. This is a story about two human beings who lived and who died, okay? Your Bible might say that this is a parable about the rich man and Lazarus. Well, that is not God's Word. Men who translated the Bible, they put sections in there, they put breaks in Scripture to break it up so that we could read it in sections. But that is not inspired from God. Only His Word is inspired, and that's just a heading that somebody put there. But listen to me, this is not a parable This is real life. So look at what Jesus says, starting in verse 19 of Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. 
There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. But the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone... Someone is sent to them from the dead. Then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now in this story, Jesus talks about two men. And these two men here in this story in Luke chapter 19 represent Every person sitting in this room, and not only do they represent every person sitting in this room, but they represent every person living on this earth right now, over 7 billion of them. Because the rich man here in this story and Lazarus in this story represent those who are saved and those who are lost. And listen to me, when God looks down from heaven and he sees this world, that is all he sees. He sees those who are saved and those who are lost. That's what he sees. Now, when we look out on this world, that's not what we see. What do we see? Well, we see rich, we see poor. We see blessed, we see cursed. We see beautiful, we see ugly. That's what we see, right? But not God. God sees those who are saved and those who are lost. And God's heart is for the lost. That's why he sent Jesus to this earth, to seek and to save that which is lost. So these two people represent every person on this earth and every person in this room, two men. The first man that Jesus talks about here is the rich man. Now we don't know his name, but we know he was a rich man. And if you just read the first two verses of this story, if you read verse 19 and 20, which one of these two men would you say obviously is saved? Well, of course you would say the rich man, right? Well, of course you would. Why not? Because he had everything this life could offer. And one of the problems in many of our churches that don't preach the whole truth of Scripture, this is what they say. They say things like this. Well, if you come to Jesus Christ and you come to God, you will be blessed. But what do they mean by blessed? They're not talking about a spiritual sense. They're talking about a physical sense, right? They say you will be blessed. You will have nice clothes. You will have a good job. You will have nice cars, a nice home. You will have anything you want because God obviously wants to bless you. God obviously wants you to look like you have been blessed. I heard a preacher two weeks ago say these very words from a pulpit in one of the largest churches in America. He said, if you are a child of God, he wants you to dress nice. He wants you to look nice. Because if you look poor, if you look homely, if you look deserted, then nobody's going to believe in a God like that. Well, he might want to go read Luke chapter 16. 
Because listen to me. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are not living our best life now. Our best life is yet to come. We are aliens in a foreign land. That's what the Word of God says. We are here, and sometimes believers suffer. Many times, guess what? Believers suffer. That's what happens on this earth, because this earth is not our home. Do you know what the Bible calls Jesus? The suffering servant. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are called to be like Him, and you are called to follow Him, guess what you're going to do? You're going to suffer according to the Word of God. He says it. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. But this rich man didn't look like he was in trouble, did he? To the world, he looked like he had it all. You know what was wrong with this rich man? He was a Jewish man, but he was living in a Roman culture. And guess what that Roman culture did to him? It seduced him. And he started dressing like the Romans dressed. He wore purple, right? Purple was the color of royalty. That's what Romans wore who were in charge. He wore the finest linen. Now the purple wasn't good enough to touch his skin, so against his skin he had the finest linen. And guess what else he did? He ate from the finest tables. He had it all. This rich man's dogs ate better than most poor people of his day. What does that sound familiar? Do you know how much money Americans spent on their pets last year? $75.26 billion we spent on pets. Do you know how many children died of starvation last year? 3.1 million. Every 10 seconds, a child in this world dies of malnutrition and starvation. The rich man fed his dogs better than he fed Lazarus. He looked like he had it all, but he was lost. What does it mean to be lost? Because we use biblical words like that that our culture doesn't understand because they don't know the Bible. Listen, this is what it means to be lost. It means to be far away from the heart of God. That's what it means. You see, when God created you and me, He created you and me in His image because He desired, He wanted a relationship with us. He wanted to love us and He wanted us to love Him. But for that to be possible, love is a choice. God did not force His love upon you. He gave you the capacity, just like He has the capacity, to choose to love. And we can either choose to love Him or we can choose to reject Him. All of us, for whatever reason, because of our sin, chose to reject God. And when we chose to reject God and to go and to leave God and go off and wander in the foreign land like the lost son in Luke chapter 15 then we are lost. We're far away from God. But the other man in this story, Lazarus, was not lost. The Bible says he was saved. Now how do we know he was saved? Do we know he was saved by the way he lived on this earth? Uh, No. The Bible says here that Lazarus was carried to the rich man's gate and he was carried to the rich man's gate so he could eat scraps from his table. This is what scraps from a table meant. And in Jesus' day, people didn't have 
napkins like we have today. They didn't have cloth napkins that they could wash, or they didn't go to Walmart and buy paper napkins. So this is how they cleaned their hands after they ate. They would take old stale bread, and they would wipe their hands with that bread, wipe their mouth after they ate, and they would throw it on the ground, and that's what Lazarus was eating. So did it look like he was saved? Did it look like he was blessed by God? Did it look like he was a child of God? No. But he was, how do we know? Because he went to heaven. Why? Because he had been found. What it means to be saved is it means to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. It means believing in Him and the work He did on the cross. That's what it means to be saved. And we know because Jesus tells us Lazarus went to heaven that he was saved. But the rich man was not. Why? Because he went somewhere else. A place the Bible calls hell. Because just like there are two men... There are also two eternities. And thank God for an eternity we have if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we were once lost, but now we've been found. Now here in our story, the Bible really doesn't give us a description of heaven. It doesn't. Most of the time when Jesus talked and when he gave stories and when he talked about spiritual things and spiritual eternity, he talked twice as much about hell as he did heaven. But I want you to do this one verse because I want you to see what Lazarus experienced, not in this life, but in heaven. This is what the Bible says for us as followers of Jesus Christ, heaven will be like. Just listen, Revelation 21. The Bible says there in verse 3, I heard with a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever I could stay here all day because I love talking about heaven but that's the experience Lazarus had not on this earth but once he died and was taken to heaven for his eternal home that's where he went but that's not where the rich man went because Jesus in great detail describes the agony and the torment of the eternal home of the rich man it was so bad, in verse 24, Jesus talks about the agony being so much that the rich man just asked for Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in some water and come touch it to his tongue. That's how thirsty he was. That's what the Bible describes hell like. It describes it as a place of thirst where it is never quenched. A place of torment and horror and pain. Listen to some of the biblical words, the adjectives used associated with hell throughout the New Testament. It says it is a place of smoke, burning torment, bottomless pit, everlasting prison, wrath, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, unquenchable fire, eternal fire, the second death, damnation, a furnace of fire, blackness, darkness, burning sulfur. All of those are biblical words in your Bible used to describe where the rich man Here's what makes this so amazing. And here's what you have to understand to understand the heart of God. God loves you so much. And He desires a relationship with you so much. That He sent Jesus Christ to hell for you 
when he died on the cross so that you would never have to experience it. You go read the story of the crucifixion. The Bible talks about the third hour. Jesus Christ hung on the cross for six hours. But at the third hour, the Bible says something happened. It says the sky drew dark. Now listen, this wasn't a solar eclipse. This wasn't a cloudy day. This was darkness. Pitch, utter darkness. You would not be able to see the hand in front of your face. Darkness. And the reason the sky drew dark at 12 o'clock that day is because this was the appointed time where God appointed Jesus Christ, His one and only Son, to bear our hell as He hung on that cross. Because it was at this moment in history that every sin you have ever committed, every harsh word, every lustful thought, every action of greed, all the theft, all the murder, any horrible thing you can think. It was at this moment in time that Jesus Christ became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 The one who knew no sin was made sin. God poured it all out. The one who knew no sin became murder. He became rape. Infanticide. And any horrible thing that you've ever done or ever thought. And for three hours on the cross, Jesus Christ was sin. And if there's one thing we know about the Word of God, we know that God cannot look upon sin. So for the first time in all eternity, the Holy Trinity. bond between God the Father and God the Son was broken. For the first time ever, they were separated. And on that cross, Jesus hung and He died and He bore our hell. Because you see, what makes hell hell is not the burning sulfur, it's not the fire. It's not the torment. It's not the unquenchable thirst. What makes hell hell is being separated from God. You see, on this earth, no one has ever truly been separated from God. Why? Because God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He is always here. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us. We're the temple of God. So if you're ever around a Christian, even though you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in the presence of God. But when you go to hell... You are completely and utterly separated from God forever. And on the cross, as Jesus hung for three hours, He was utterly separated from God. And He did that for one purpose. So that you could be saved. So that the lost could be found. At the end of those three hours, the Bible says, at three o'clock, the darkness lifted. And a cry came from the cross. Jesus quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
reason God forsook Jesus Christ on the cross is so that you would never be forsaken. God says to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he says that because he loved Jesus. Because he forsake Jesus. So that you could be found. That is the love of God. That he would go to hell for you. That he would die your death. That he would become your sin. The one who knew no sin. It's not that a loving God would send someone to hell. It's that God himself would go to hell for you. That's what makes the doctrine of hell so great in the word of God. It's because God will do utterly anything to pursue that which is lost. And that's what he did for you. And if you are a believer and you have trusted Jesus Christ and you have called upon his name to save you, then guess what you are called to do? To be just like Jesus. To be the visible image of the invisible God. To demonstrate his love. To show his sacrifice. To speak his truth. Why? So that the lost may be found. This story that Jesus tells in Luke 16 amazes me when it ends. Because it ends in a way that convicts me. Because it ends with this man, the rich man in hell. Crying out for his five lost brothers. A man who never knew God. Has more concern for the lost than I do. the last time you cried out for someone who was lost. God sent someone to them to tell them. I just want to close with a question. A what if? What if God would allow us, all of us, spend either 30 seconds in heaven or 30 seconds in hell and then come back to this earth and live our life until we die and meet him forever which one would you choose I mean of course we all want to choose heaven right we want to know if what the word of God says about it's true we want to know what it looks like what it sounds like, what it smells like. But if God would answer me a prayer for you, this is what I would pray. God, give them 30 seconds in hell. That's all it would take. You would hear the anguish 
and see the pain. You would smell the sulfur. And you would come back with a heart just like God's. For those that are lost. And I believe if that could be your experience, like it was Jesus as he hung on the cross, You would do anything to keep your loved ones and those you know from going to a place like that. But here's my question Why would it take 30 seconds in hell? Do you not believe Jesus Christ? Do you not believe what his words say? If you do, you should do everything humanly possible to keep your loved ones and your family from going to a place like that. Here's our problem. In this life, we look a lot more like this rich man than we look like Lazarus. Just like him, we're seduced by this world. Just like him, we're deceived. And we believe the lies of Satan. Oh, God will send somebody else. That's why he calls people to be missionaries and ministers. No, according to the word of God, he sent you. Because he called you, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, to be the invisible image of the invisible God. So all I'm going to ask is when people see you, what God are they seeing? Are they seeing the God of this Bible? Or are they seeing the God of this world? There is no in-between. None. What do they see? with me. Lord, honestly this morning don't know what to pray. Except that you would give us a burden for the lost. Pray that you would help us see with spiritual eyes. Because Lord, we need you. Would you come into this place? 
Would you fill it with your spirit? Would you do more than we could ask or think? Lord, just bless us with you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.